Bring it in. Read option back after two games of the NBA Finals. And uh, we're back where we started, even series. Old crew back together, Scotty and Vito off of a little R&R that then turned immediately into flying all around the country again because you never stay in one place. And hanging out with more Philadelphia Eagles, uh, and that just makes me mad at you. So um, it's great to have you back on the pod, and I love you, and how are you? Dude, great. Love to be here. Yeah, went down to Outer Banks, did some kiteboarding uh, with our boy James, and uh, yeah, went. we came back. Had a great time, man. Went went down to uh, saw Dave Chappelle with some of the the team and um, down Atlantic City. And then, you know, like you said, flying out to Cleveland, driving around again. But uh, you know, did did want to start off and at least mention our obviously. Uh, I, I'm I live in downtown Philly, um, as a lot of you may know, and about a couple blocks away from me on Sunday Saturday night. Technically, um, there was a a mass shooting, which. We're not going to get into all that stuff. There's there's just too much tragedy in this country, and we want to bring some happiness to your lives. But just please be careful if you're going out. If you're out late and you see some people fighting, just maybe get away from all of that. And maybe, you know, because um, that's how this started. It started with a fight, and now three people are dead and, uh, you know, 11 more shot. So, um, you know, it wasn't the only incident this 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 week. But uh, in general, you know, just, just uh, be careful, everybody. If you're listening, we love you. So, um look at yeah it's i will um it's obviously great to know that you're you're safe um i was up you know having a lot of family and people i know in philly that was definitely not fun news to to read um i shared some of my thoughts after the the texas shooting last Mm -hmm. week um or a couple weeks ago and um yeah you said it all like this this isn't the podcast that typically goes into that kind of stuff though i'm i'll never shy away from it and i don't think any of us really will either but nonetheless keep your wits about you be smart and um and and check in on your people too um scotty how are you my friend i'm good warriors won a finals game again so um i'm good man no yeah, i yeah, uh, did. did a little did a little tweak of the ankle uh but uh and then did some yard work uh, and played golf on top of that. Uh, and That's so what people I was usually yesterday. do when they, yeah, when they hurt their ankle, they usually go do more things on. Well, that I, I was testing it out on on Friday uh, when I was playing golf. So uh, classic uh, male ego. Yeah. It's fine. Just rub some dirt on it. Yeah, it's what I did, and I played nine, the best nine I've played all year, I think. <laughs> there and, we go. Uh, then came home and did uh, did yard work the next day, and then uh, I was down for the count yesterday. So. <laughs> Did a little uh, day drinking in the sunshine and hung out and waited for uh, basketball. Hung out with my wife. Well, that is that is good. It's been uh, it's weird. We you know the finals was like every other day, or so the playoffs were every other day for every series basically, and the conference finals were every other day. So it felt like every night you had a game, and now we're in this like game two days off, game two days off, uh, which isn't the worst thing. I, th- I hopefully no. it makes for a better product uh, in the end of it, but it does. I do feel a little bit like I'm like sitting around all day being like, come on. And it's because the West coast times they were starting a little later and you know, it's that part of it's not been, uh, not been great, but um, no fun weekend for me as well. Down in Charlottesville celebrating my uh, one of my best friends from college who got engaged first of my friend group. And uh, it's a weird feeling when your friends start to get engaged from yeah. college. Um, 
and spending the whole weekend with them and, and talking about, you know, wedding venues and every brewery we went to down in Charlottesville because it's so beautiful and scenic was like, oh, you know, we could go get their email. See if they do. What's the I wonder what their wedding rates are like? And uh, it I was just it. it was just more and more. But it was super fun and uh, and couldn't be happier for Brad and V. So uh, we love the two of them. Shout out to them. Congrats, uh, guys. One yeah. thing, Jeff, to add on that. I was at a cookout this weekend where mm-hmm. like friends were bringing babies for the first time. Like I there were two babies and a child running around and, and I was drinking and the kid came up and like jumped on the hammock. I was on, I was like, you want to watch YouTube? And I was like, all right. And this kid pulled out these YouTube videos. They were sick. They were like these guys building forts and stuff. And I was like, man, I know I'm just a drunk dude chilling on a hammock, but kids, they got some content, man. They're, they're getting better. But yeah, they are. Life, well, life, when life is, changes like that, makes, this is my baby. Crazy. This is they're celebrating their babies. I'm celebrating my, my baby, my new putter that I got. So, you know, Different Big news there. Different strokes for different folks, I guess. Uh, but that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> Stroke, in the, huh? in the How many strokes are you gonna gain? <laughs> all uh, hopefully, I want to lose strokes. I guess I want to gain strokes. That always feels antithetical to the rest of golf because, yeah. like, golf is there. All you want to lose strokes, but gaining strokes means that you're getting. Uh, either way, we're rambling. Um, it's you know when we haven't had the whole crew together in a couple of weeks, we just have like we were like we all hopped on the pod on the Zoom like 30 minutes ago before we started recording and then we were like oh yeah we'll hop on here's what we're doing and we were texting a little bit about it beforehand and then now it's just like we spend up spending like 25 minutes just bullshitting about <laughs> top gun and a bunch of other random stuff which as soon as scotty sees that we will do a, a a recap of that on this pod because it 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 deserves it for for nothing else um have, all right. have, we, have you ahead. guys watched stranger things never got into stranger things never not God. once oh, dios mio okay all right well <laughs> I'll do a solo, I guess, on that. Myself. I'm sorry, I'm not. A, I'm not in high school, Vito. I'm not. I'm not a 17 year old high school kid. Well, you know what? Some of us love to be. No kidding. Okay. <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that is true. There is, and no, I, I do know that's a good show, but that's like not really my my vibe. I, I watched a couple episodes back in the day. Um, anyway, to the important stuff: the NBA Finals. Two games in, two very very different stories. Uh, the Golden State Warriors do what they always do, dominate third quarters in both. Uh, the third quarter point differential is the most the Warriors have ever had uh, in any playoff series, which is saying yes, it a, is. a lot because uh, they lit it up. I mean, going back all the way to the beginning of game one, Steph drilling six threes in the first quarter was a, a, just absolutely electric television. And seeing Steph do that still, I just, I love Steph Curry so much. I The shake, it, it's so much fun and the fear that he strikes into opposing teams, their fans, players, uh, you know, he just, uh, he gets so much attention around him. And then because of that, it just continually opens up everything else. And for whatever reason, and this is why I can't stand the, like the people who don't like to give Steve Kerr credit or say Steve Kerr doesn't do anything. Those third quarters are directly attributed to Steve Kerr, you know, like, yeah, the players are going out there making the shots they're doing what it is, but like, that is a, major coaching thing and as a fan of a team that has historically been really bad in third quarters over the last couple of years uh the boston celtics are another team that have been really bad through this tatum and jalen brown you know kind of era in third quarters it is becoming evident that that might be one of the kind of swinging points here now credit to the celtics in game one they fought back in the fourth quarter uh put together an equally as impressive fourth quarter coming down i actually fell asleep uh early in the third quarter thinking that the Warriors kind of had it in the bag and woke yeah. up stunned yeah. seeing that, you know, Al Horford yeah. had 26 points. And and look, when he does that, like 
if Al Horford's going 26 and knocking down six threes, there's not much you can do. But that being said, I, I through two games, I do feel like Golden State has been the better team. But I think so far it's kind of going out about exactly how we thought it would be, which is that I, it feels like this is going to go seven. It feels like there's going to be a trading of back and forth, and we're going to have some really electric moments. So, so I'm excited is where we're at two games in. I love it. Uh, Scotty, go ahead. You, you, you're, no, you're more of a fan. That is true. Well, we should, I should have, I made a mistake. I should have opened up the pod asking it's, Scotty how it felt, but I just wanted to set the scene a little bit. So oh, Scotty, it's fine, man. No, look, I mean, literally like initial thoughts after the game last night, I saw no discernible difference in game two than I did in game one. The only difference in game one was that Boston made everything. I mean, everything. And every bounce was going their way in game one and they could not miss. Um, and then in, in the fourth quarter, the, the Warriors couldn't shoot the ball. Um, <clears throat> game two, at, at, when the Warriors kept their foot on the pedal and the second half, I think was, was a huge part of the difference. But they shot just as well as they did through most of the game in game one as in game two. Um, so, look this is where I think uh, what, what we talked about in the preview is, is some of the depth, right? Uh, and the fact that the Warriors got Gary Payton back, Andre Iguodala flashed in game one a little bit, but uh, did not play in game two. Uh, the Warriors bench is deep. I mean, we, we had Bielitsa get uh, a few solid minutes in on defense uh, here in game two. Uh, and, and Kaminga and, and Moody are, are getting minutes, solid minutes too. And Otto Porter coming off the bench. I, I can't tell you how much I love that man. But again, the Warriors just play their game. I, I think, you know, the, the Celtics are, are a good team. Uh, but if the Warriors play their game, I, I think they're, they'll be just, just fine. Um, now it's going to be a little tougher at the Garden, and we'll get into that when we preview the rest of the series. Um, but I think we're okay. Man, and, and Boston's defense, I texted you guys. Or maybe I, I think it was just you, Jeff, I texted because I knew you were watching the game. Um, was, uh, if Boston's defense is like the annoying guy at a pickup game where like they're not committing fouls. They're just like they're flying all over the court. And it's like, dude, can you just get that off of me? Like, stop. Like, they're so annoying. But they're, they're such a solid defensive unit. And all of them are great individual defenders. And then as a unit, they play excellent defense. Yeah, man, it, it was a, uh, it was really cool to watch. I think obviously you guys pretty much highlighted the first and second games there at the Jeff, you're right. The third quarter. I mean, it's so wild to see one quarter swing like that. It's, it's pretty cool to see and just know, like you can count on it a little bit. Like all of us coming out of halftime on this next game will be, be like, all right, how many are they going to like, you know, are they going to score them again? Yeah, so right now, I mean, they're averaging a plus 17 and a half point differential in the third quarter, are the Warriors. Yeah. Averaging. Which, which is, I mean, and that means in the first two games, right, they've, yeah. they've scored 35 more points in just the third quarter than Boston has, <laughs> which is, and it's an outrageous <laughs> statistic. Um, but, and even still, I, I, I don't think Boston's played bad. Like, I think Boston's oh. played really well. It was a two-point game at halftime, but that's what has made the Golden State Warriors. And this whole run, like, they're, they're going back all the way to 2015, the first title year, the Steph Curry first MVP year. Uh, you know, Golden State has led the league in all these years they've been in the finals in third quarter efficiency, third quarter points. Like, this is like what they do. It's it's their calling card. It's, it's one of the things that has helped define what has made this Golden State Warriors run so dangerous. 
And it's the fact that they can put it on you so fast, right? Like, yeah, it's a two, two point game, you know, going into halftime, but all of a sudden you pour in three threes and now that's an 11 point game and you, and you blink and you're like, we're two minutes into the third quarter. And all of a sudden now golden state's up 11, you know, it's been so fun to watch. And it's not only the threes. Like I, I love how much I'm seeing. Cause I, I think most of my watching again, cause I don't watch much regular season in my fairness, my two guys I'm about to talk about it play much, especially my boy clay, but clay and Steph driving and the hesitations. And then like clay's hesitation on the outside. And then he just blew past everyone and let it go. Like it was so much fun to watch. That was an electric drive, which I don't think I've said about a drive in the NBA in a very long time. It's just one of those things where I feel like we have seen so many threes and we know how great these guys are, which by the way, I saw this stat clay Thompson now is 433 threes, which is now in, in the playoffs, which is second all time behind Steph. Yeah. And <laughs> Steph has an extra hundred on top of him. He's at 536, <laughs> which is absurd. And the thing is too, is clay Thompson hasn't even played well yet. No, like he's, he's been so far the, the first series, two games. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in this series, he has yeah. not played well yet. Um, we, but we've also seen him in the closeout game against Dallas drop 34 pretty effortlessly. Right. And I love so, what he said. He's like, I left him out there. Like that's yeah. the, that's well, the, he's you know, not, he's... he's still not the clay Thompson that we know. Right. He's not, not he's not the guy of years past. He's and, and he may never be again. Right. I mean, the two injuries he had missed 900 days, you know, it was not over 900 days in between games for, for Clay Thompson uh, playing in the NBA. So the expectation of like, Oh, this is the same. It's not the same guy, but just like you can say that about the Warriors and yet the Warriors have done well, like Jason Tatum played like shit in game one and they still won, you know, Clay Thompson didn't play well in game two and the Warriors still dominated. Um, there's some other things here too with the guys like Jordan Poole who I like Jordan Poole a lot but it's a lot easier to pull up and go on hot streaks like he did in the fourth quarter when you're up the pull up when you're up 15 points right I need to see more of Jordan Poole doing that in the first half I need to do that when it's a two-point game because they're gonna they're gonna need somebody other than Steph and the other guy too that I think has been underratedly the most important player for the Warriors has been Otto Porter Jr. Yeah. I mean, Ooh. he's, I think, I think he shoots. I mean, Wiggins, but even Wiggins hasn't played great yet. Right. Yeah. Like he's, he's been solid. He's been all right. I, I would expect at least one of these games, but he's also getting tough matchups. You know, he's, he's drawing Jason Tatum most of the time defensively and, but on both sides of the ball and he's done a really good job on Jason Tatum. Right. Uh, especially there in game one, the big difference for golden state game one to game two is, they made their third quarter run and then they kind of laid down a little bit in the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden Boston got hot and Boston has streaky three point shooters who are like when Derek white and Al Horford are making their threes, it makes a big difference. Right. I, yeah. And it was one of those where I, when I was watching, even then I was just throwing my hands up. I'm like, what can he do? Like if or Al Horford, six of eight from three, like what do you do? What do you there, do about that? <laughs> there's just, there's nothing you can do. Right. I mean, like, and that's the thing, like Horford's one of those guys where he's just gonna kind of end up doing that, right? Like he's just every once in a while, he's going to have a game where he goes off and looks really, really good. Um, but for Jordan Poole, who right now is second on the team in usage percentage in this series uh, at almost 30%, they need more from him, right? They need him to, and, and again, he looked really good in that fourth quarter, but again, it's so much easier to do that because clay isn't going to be clay, right? Like that's kind of where we're standing right now is, is clay will probably have, I'm, I would bet money that clay Thompson has a moment 
in this series. He has a game where he drops 30, right? Well, the thing is, to your point, he played, it's one of those things where you have a guy who's so good. It's again, it goes back to like, is he due? Like, is he due for one of these breakout games? Because he played so poorly, like his shooting percentage, I'm trying to find out from three, I think it was one from eight, which like, that's obviously not a clay stat that we're used to seeing. And it was four of 19, I believe. Like it was, it was just not a great shooting performance, but he, I mean, he does it in other ways. It's just, the but, point is, is that if that's hot with him, I mean, how much better can the warriors get? And they can get better than what they put out there to your point. Like but, they can, but you can also say that too, as much as it pains me, you can also say that about the Celtics. Like Marcus smart was probably due for a big scoring game and he got one in game one. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Jason Tatum was due for a big scoring night. He got it in game two, uh, despite the loss. So, I, I mean, these guys are going to have their, their moments, right? It's, it's a matter of when they come number one and, and two, can the other guys like pool, uh, like Wiggins, like Kevon Looney for the Warriors, uh, like Derek white Pritchard, uh, uh, for, for the Celtics stay good enough and solid enough around those guys that they can make a, a difference in a game. Well, and Marcus smart too, like there, there's, more injury concern with Boston right now because Marcus Smart still has kind of, I mean, they've been playing Derek White over him in some certain matchups. Like they've, they, and, and even in, in game one, like that game was six points when, yeah. and, and Mark in the fourth quarter, and Marcus Smart wasn't on the court. And I, I don't know if that is, you know, Udoka kind of riding with the hot hand or if it's more of like, no, like he, he honestly thinks that like, Marcus or Mark Smart's heart. I don't know. I don't know exactly where that stems from, um, but he is no unquestionably the emotional leader of that team. And on the other side, you can say the same thing about Draymond. Draymond was yeah. terrible in game one. And basically Boston said, we're leaving you open, Draymond. Like, yeah. we're, like we're not even concerned with you. We'll give you every wide open three, every wide open, you know, jump shot you want to take. If you want to try to take it at the rack, Rob Williams or Al Horford's going to swat it away. And it burned them in the fourth quarter. But then you see what makes you know Draymond Green so special, which is that after having that in game one, he was out there wreaking havoc and being just an absolute annoying pest, classic Draymond, getting in people's faces, <laughs> starting shit. He got the early technical. Yeah. And then they never ended up throwing him out, but up to a lot of people's chagrin, which we can talk about the officiating, you know, in a little bit here, though, you know, maybe neither here nor there. But that's what I need to see out of Marcus Smart here in game three. Right. Because if Marcus Smart's going to do the same thing that Draymond's been doing, he has to do that at home in game three in a big moment. And this is his time to step up and show that he's going to do that. He's going to be willing to do that and 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 bring that energy. But in addition to Marcus Smart, Robert Williams looks like he got really hurt. I mean, he ended up playing the rest of the game and, and that dude's body's being held together by, you know, popsicle yeah. sticks and, and Elmer's duct glue tape. at this point. Like, <laughs> I, I won't even say duct tape. Uh, duct tape might be a little too strong <laughs> for the way that that dude, I mean, remember this guy had surgery, uh, what, two weeks, three weeks before the playoffs started uh, to, yeah. to fix a tear, a torn meniscus. It was a slight tear, but still, and yet he was in the first round series against Brooklyn. I mean, he only played in, I think, th- uh, two out of the four games. But he's they're a completely different team when they can't have both of them because the only this is the first time in the Golden State Wars era that we've seen a team challenge them with bigs and it's actually seemed to pay off. But it only really works when it's Horford and Robert Williams because they complement each other so well. And Robert Williams is athletic enough that he can chase down and, and contest shots and, and at the very least get hands in guys' faces when they're shooting threes. Um, but I still think a lot of it goes back to like what you were saying, Scotty, is 
if Boston's role players like Derek White and Al Horford and Peyton Pritchard and even Marcus Smart are, are making their threes, Robert or, or Grant Williams as well, if they're making their threes, you know, I, I don't really know what Golden State's going to be able to do. But I also wouldn't expect them to shoot it as well from three as they did in uh, game one or as poorly as they did in game two. So what does that look like in game three when now they're at right. home and now it's in the middle and it's the rim and they're in the garden and it's everything that's kind of normal again. And, and I would say the same for same thing about Mo, uh, Golden State. You know, Steph's been really good so far, but this is the best the best that he's looked this entire playoff so far, right? I mean, he had 34 in game two. He got off to that insane start in game one. Um, and so they're going to need somebody else. And I heard this question. I was talking to somebody about the finals um, today, actually. And the question got brought up is like, who is, who is the Celtics, or sorry, the Warriors like, starting five in the last two minutes of the game. Like who are the five guys that you would want out there that you fully trust right now? Because there's a legitimate case that Clay Thompson at certain matchups and certain moments might not be that guy on the court. Yeah. And, and will Steve Kerr have the balls after all of the history and everything that he's, they've done together to not put him out there. Now I personally would still rather have Clay Thompson out there he's because of the me. experience. Yeah. But he's still is, one of the best yeah. shooters of all time. Like yeah. and he's made clutch threes and has been in so many more finals than everybody else. And I I'd rather lose with Clay on the floor than win with That's bullshit. No you wouldn't. No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather though, Give me that coach. <laughs> I would put my I would put my trust in him, Steph Poole. Like th- that's gotta no, be the- cool. Those three cannot yeah, be on the thing. floor at the that's same the time. It, well, it said the last two minutes. I, I guess what I'm thinking is like, if you have a, a situation where you have a timeout and you have like 18 seconds left and you know, you're like, all right, we're going to run a play or two, like, you know, two cycles around to get the best shot we can. I'd put all three of those guys out there, which I, I get you're, you're saying two minutes is definitely a little different than last. Yeah, I mean, like we're talking about like a, like a back, even expanded out to the last four or five minutes of the game, right. Where you're typically going to play one set of five. If it's like, Hey, right. there's three seconds left on the shot clock and we're in a tie game or we're down one down two, we need a shot. Like, yeah, you're going to put all three of those guys in for an inbound play because you want to get an opportunity with guys who can shoot. But realistically, it's going to be Steph. It's going to be Andrew Wiggins. It's going to be Draymond. Looney. Probably Kavon Looney. Yeah. And then that fourth spot, I mean, it it could Otto Porter, who was on a minutes restriction right now, but I still think Otto Porter has been one of the best five players that that Golden State's had in the series so far. Um, And then it's either him, Clay. And I also think there's a real case for Gary Payton Jr. I mean, hit, oh. I mean, him coming that back three in the corner. Oh, baby. And it's the defensive <laughs> thing with Clay as much as the offensive thing because if yeah. I'm like again, if we're talking about like, hey, your life depends on it, you need one three to go in. There are very few people I go down on that list before I get to the name Clay Thompson. However, he's not the defensive player he was before. And if anything, he's becoming more of a defensive liability and the matchup and the flexibility that Gary Payton gives you as a guard, but a bigger guard who can also play really good defense. He does play great defense. That's the point. It, yeah. He might be that guy, especially like you're saying both ways. I think that's a really interesting take. It's, it's, it's hard for me to admit, honestly, that like, it's just hard to sit like it's clay. He's, he's for me, my favorite NBA player. Um, I, I, it's just, it, you're right. It's like, I still have the idea of him three years ago. I mean, right? him and him, yeah, him and Embiid are like, are my two favorite players. Like for the longest time, like I, I loved, I still love Clay Thompson. Right. And I, and I can't wait for that game that I do believe is coming where he drops 30 and he just gets hot from three and just everything starts to fall. Cause I do think in game three or game four, and one of those games in Boston, 
that's typically when Clay has those games is on the road in a big spot when they need some, you know, I, my brain goes back to game five when they were down three, one to Oklahoma city, you know, and he scores, what was it, Scott? He had, you know, you know, 37 or 39, but he, he dropped like six threes in the third quarter yeah. um, in order to get them back in the game. Like that's the, the, the version of clay offensively that I still think exists. Yeah. But when you're guarding a team that's as big and as athletic and as young and fast and, and kind of plays in this aggressive style. I, I don't know if you necessarily, I don't know if it helps you or not. I know. I also don't think, and this is the biggest question because we're none of us are the ones that are, you know, running this team. The bigger question is what will Steve Kerr do? Right. Will Steve Kerr have, have the, the chutzpah, right? Will he have the balls to sit there and go, I know everything you've done for us, Clay, but I have to do this right now because Gary Payton's playing really, really well, or, Otto Porter Jr. is playing really, really well. And the thing with Porter Jr. too is he's like 6'8". You're getting extra size. And if they do send out a lineup that's Grant Williams and Al Horford or Robert Williams and Al Horford, you know, Clay not really being around the rim as much and kind of getting blown by on, on the defensive end, you might rather have that size and rebounding that Clay's not necessarily going to provide you. No, you, you don't know. And you're right. He's not, he's not the same defender he is in the perimeter because offensively, he'll get hot. He'll get streaky. He's still one of the best shooters of all time. But like – on the defensive side, to your point, it's hard for me. I think that's what I'm saying. It's hard for me to watch because I don't think he's – every time I'm like something happens, I'm making an excuse for him in my head still. You know what I mean? Like when yeah. you're watching the game and you're like watching one of your favorite players in any sport and something happens, like, well, you know, like you're not going to get them all. You know, it's basketball is such an offensive game. Like what are you, you, know, you going to do? And then you realize like, no, this guy was one of the best defensive players in the league for a while, and now he's definitely not the same. I hope he can get his legs back under him and in, in, in that lateral movement, but you just never know. I don't know, Scotty, when you're watching him, like, how do you feel about, cause you've also watched the whole regular season stuff, which again, when he came back, I watched his first game back and probably nothing after that. So what, what did you see from him the whole year? Like, is this a cold streak or you think like, no, you got to make the decision to keep him out the lineup. No, I, I I'd put him in <clears throat> just because if nothing else, it's the threat that he poses uh, in big yes. moments. Right. Mm. So to me, and, and it was a slow burn in the regular season for him to get back to where he was. In fact, I think it was probably not until the last week or two of the regular season that I was kind of like, all right, he's getting there. <laughs> um, um, you know, and then he, he's had a couple of spots in the, uh, in the, in the playoffs, but yeah, that's, that's, I think the logic is that that's all we need is that one spot that one game, uh, that one quarter, even uh, as we know, he can put up offensively um, that, that he can be okay. Defensively. I think, you know, you live and die with it. Um, if, if it's too close, if it's a, a back and forth two point game, like we've been seeing in, in some of these first halves, then that's a different story, but um, that makes the decision that much more difficult for Kerr. I think down the, down the stretch, but uh, I, I'd leave him in. Honestly, and that's, and you, you did make the best point here, which is that the threat alone, he, you cannot leave him open. <laughs> yeah. You still can't, even if he's shooting 20% from three in the series up another point, you're not leaving clay Thompson open with, for a wide open three, even if he's not hundred percent to what he was. And for that alone, and that's kind of the, the forgotten arc of the, you know, and not to take anything away from Steph Curry, but the way that Steph Curry affects teams defensively, Clay Thompson did the same thing for a long time. The only difference is, you know, we didn't miss seeing, you know, we missed Steph a little bit when he was out, you know, last year, but like Clay missed almost, you know, three years 
uh, two and a half years at least of of NBA action. Yeah. And so it's just a kind of like, I don't know. I should, I have to close out. I have to give him that respect because he is the second best shooter of all time, or at least one of the top five shooters of all time. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. Some interesting stats here before uh, we take a break. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can, before we take a break too, we can kind of give our thoughts here for how the rest of the series is going to go. Um, what I love about this series is it's super weird. And as of right now, I'm still leaning Golden State. Um, but Boston's a team that is just up and down. So, like, I think Boston is probably going to win game three. Um, or at least I think they're going to split the series in Boston. Uh, but some some of the reasoning, at least, as to why I'm leaning towards Golden State, the turnover percentage, Golden State's always been a team that turns the ball over a lot. Even in their best years, they were oh, every single year that they won the title or were in the NBA Finals, they were a bottom five turnover team uh, in the entire NBA. Uh, and right now, Boston is turning the ball over uh, 2% more, which doesn't sound like a whole lot, but so far through two games is a decent amount, especially considering that they have the exact same like pace right now. They're both getting averaging about 96 possessions per game uh, like on the dot, which is pretty wild. Uh, and then the other thing too, which surprised me, Scotty, and I don't know how you feel about this, but right now Golden State is winning the offensive rebounding battle. Uh, and, and I and think they did, they did in the, in the previous three series too. Yeah. Um, and I think Kevon Looney plays a big part of that, but I also think Draymond's doing a big part of that. Draymond's still averaging that, you know, seven rebounds a game uh, so far in this series. And, and that matters a lot. Offensive rating is about the same. It's a little bit slanted towards Golden State, but some of that has to do with, um, you know, the garbage time in, in game uh, game two. So uh, effective field goal percentage is about the same. Uh, you know, and these are some of the more like, like the big four factor kind of like statistics that kind of help decide things. Um, points per game is only about three and a half points different. So it's not a huge difference, but it is slightly leaning towards Golden State. But again, because it was a blowout, you know, it's small sample size. So I am still leaning Golden State, but I kind of subscribe to the theory that like if you have any strong opinion as to how this is leaning right now, I think you're lying to yourself because I just <laughs> I just think right now it's I think it's either team's, you know, series to win. I think it's just gonna be a matter of who steps up. I, I think it almost I, – I think – so Golden State hasn't lost back-to-back playoff games. Have, have the Celtics yet? I, n- I don't know if no, they the, have. The Celtics have not lost back-to-back playoff games. Yeah, so then it may They're come about down to, to. – Well, I was going <laughs> to say, it may just come down to the fact that they won game one and we're just going to go back and forth till seven and they're going to close it out. Uh, really, that's how it feels, to your point. Like, it's going to go back and forth. Neither of these teams have then lost back-to-back playoff games. Um I don't know, man. Obviously, I'm a, I'm home leaning towards the the Warriors right now, um, and hopefully they can steal you know one if not two here in in, in Boston. But I, I just I don't know what's going to happen here for this series back and forth. The thing I do know is I'm hoping that we don't get. I, I'm hoping that we get at least a couple that come down to the wire where it's not one team than the other and this third quarter magic, which is great. I, I would rather see you know, even if that happens a huge comeback and, and what's happening, um, you know, in, in, or what had happened in another series where at least you're going to have something come down to the wire. That's what I'm hoping for, for at least a couple of these games coming up. Yeah. I, I don't want that. I, I want a firm <laughs> win uh, in hand. Let the read my, it's option. already bad enough that it's already that we have to tip off at nine o'clock, eight o'clock on Sunday. Thanks to the NBA, by the way, for the courtesy to knock it back by an hour oh. on Sunday night. Hey, well, yeah, they, ha- they have to. It's, it's the not- schedule figured out. I mean, please, nine o'clock. What are we We doing? haven't even discussed the biggest scheduling issue and the fact that they ESPN 
stopped airing the spelling bee because of the NBA finals, which I, we're not even going to get into that, but well, that's a it goddamn was, travesty. It was on, yeah. on ion. This yeah. Year. Which guess what? YouTube TV doesn't have ion. So I, it was, the I don't first think anybody year, has ion the B I wasn't able to watch the B, which is like my favorite drinking event. It's top five of the year. It's top I, I'm five. Pretty, I'm pretty sure you can only get ion on Roku. What are the top five <laughs> drinking events of the year? I'm glad you asked uh, Victoria's secret fashion show, the NFL draft. Uh, let's see uh, the spelling bee. Um, probably, probably honestly, like, uh, if anyone, this isn't yearly, so I guess it doesn't count, but whenever you have a, a virtual wedding over COVID, oh my God, those are so fun to drink too. Um, but probably, you know, Super Bowl and maybe like, um, oh, that's a good, the, um, master's weekend. Hmm. Okay. Little cornhole Victoria's, tournament. Victoria's just, Secret Fashion Show was always the old. That was from college. That was like the boys getting together. So that threw my <laughs> mind, but I haven't done that in probably like six years. So I don't know if that. Ito's ranking does not reflect the opinion of everybody's on this pod. Obviously, um, obviously. <laughs> no, it uh, it it should be interesting. I'm ex- I'm excited to see how the rest of this series goes. Um, I have Boston winning Game Three, but we'll find out. All right, let's uh, let's take a quick break here. We're not gonna get my pick. All right. Thanksgiving, I know. It, I by know. the way, Scotty. Oh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving football. Going. Yes. My bad. That my is bad. Top yeah. five. No, thanks. You guys, it was a hard question. We should do that for a you random. Did. It was shit. pretty spur. Yeah. We yeah. maybe maybe we'll go through and put a little more thought into it and come up with a with a good list. Um, all right, we're gonna take a quick break, come back. We're gonna talk about some interesting stuff in kind of the sports business world here with some uh franchises being bought and sold. And we are going to wrap up continuing our top 10 list of NFL players. Today's list, top 10 tight ends in the NFL. All that on the other side. All right, so I teased. Also, we're adding another thing to the docket. We are actually going to rank our top five drinking events of the year. We're going to add that to the very, very end. We'll keep it short and sweet. Um, but that was – we talked about it in the break there. I was like, that's too funny. That's too much of a fun event to not to not actually do. So we will <laughs> give our top five rankings uh, for all of us individually as to what our top five drinking events are. Uh, but I did tease before that that – we want to talk a little bit about something that's going on with the sports business world. Now there are three stories all going on concurrently evolve involving uh, franchises and professional sports who are being bought or looking to be bought or potentially looking to sell or change ownership for, if we include the Phoenix suns, which we don't know exactly what's going on there yet with Robert Sarver, that report should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. And we definitely will talk about it on this pod. Uh, but it did kind of get me thinking, cause I, I think this is one of those really fascinating topics in the world of sports that doesn't quite get as much shine um you basically see a big number and you go like, holy shit this this team's worth this much money and then you kind of move on but i think some of the bones in, into how these evaluations kind of come into play are interesting so Vito had talked about this right before the pod um chelsea the soccer team in the premier league just got bought for what was it 4.4 billion you said so technically us is 3.1 billion and they committed a lot of money to it because I don't know if anyone knows they actually were owned by like Russian oligarchs and everyone was like, screw that. And so anyway, they sold. So whether you like it or not, all that money is going to a Russian oligarch, but uh, 3.1 billion um, uh, was the sale price officially for Chelsea by the New York times. Cause I've seen a bunch of different numbers mm-hmm. all over. And the reason you brought that up beforehand was because the Denver Broncos are just going just today, actually, as we're recording Monday, 
um, announced they're going through their second round of bids, which means it's very likely that the Denver Broncos will officially be bought by a new owner or ownership group in the coming days, if not like could be by the time this podcast comes out. So we are really kind of getting to nut crunching time and they're expected to be the high in terms of transition or transactionally. It'll be the highest that somebody's paid to buy an ownership from someone else. It'll put them near the top five in the top 10 somewhere uh, at projected over $4 billion for the Denver Broncos. So right off the bat, Vito, as a fan, I've actually, you know, we've had a couple of ownership changes in my life in Philly, but nothing that really like has stuck out or has been overwhelmingly memorable. Mm -hmm. Um, Where, when you sit there from a fan's perspective, what do you look for? What do you, what do you hope out of it? And like, are you looking for a flashy name or someone else? Because the other reason the, and the other story here that kind of brought us up was that Phil Knight is in the running and made a bid to potentially buy the Portland trailblazers for $2 billion uh, and there's a legitimate debate about like, is it weird that there's somebody, you know, the president and owner and founder of Nike who has a ton of stake and value in the league and makes money off of all 30 NBA teams mm-hmm. is now going to be owning one team additionally, which I don't necessarily believe because you can say the same thing about Michael Jordan and the Jordan brand and the shoes and everything else. But I, I do think it's interesting. So it's like, would you rather have a name or would you rather have, you know, some tech giant who no one's ever heard of who's just rich as fuck? As long as they're committed to making the team better. So again, to that point of all these, the folks who bought Chelsea, it was an American based like uh, conglomerate who, who ended up buying them. And they, again, they committed a lot of money, right? Phil Knight, you know, is going to put money into that team. He's not going to sit there and buy it just to, just to have on the books and hopefully make, you know, uh, you know, eight to nine figures from the team every year. He, he's committing to the team if he buys them. And, and for Denver, the person who, who the biggest bid came from is Rob Walton, who is the oldest child of the Walmart dynasty, you could say. So what's wild about that, you put in a $4.5 billion bid, according to reports. Um, and here's what's wild. Uh, Ann Walton Creone, I guess his sister, owns the Colorado Avalanche as well as the Nuggets. Hmm. Um, Stan Creone owns the Colorado Mammoth, the lacrosse team and the Rapids, the MLS team, and then he would own the Broncos. So this team is basically just like the state, I should say, uh, of Colorado is owned by the Walmart family, which is kind of cool. Um, I, I just really love that. I, I think there's something cool about like, it's not like they're to your point, buying the team and, and how do I feel about it? I feel better because their family owns other sports franchises in the area. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems to be committed to that area. It's not like, Oh, I want this team. I want that. It's like the Pagulas in Buffalo, right? They're, they're investing in, in multiple sport franchises in the area. I love that. I also love the fact that um, for me as a fan, it's, it's hard because Pat Bolin, he's the famous guy who lifted the first Super Bowl trophy we ever got in 97, technically 98 was, um, you know, he said, this one's for John and hands it. And then at the end, when John Elway as the GM one with Peyton said, this one's for Pat and handed it back to him. It's like, there, it seems like that story arc of those two guys is completed and they're now in the Broncos past. So this is like turning a, a massive chapter, almost picking up a new volume, volume two of the Broncos and putting it down, getting Russell Wilson. We talked about a long time ago on the pod. I, I still think it may have had some impact on this sale, um, knowing that like, Hey, at least this team probably is going to make the playoffs right away, which is sexier and 
I don't know. You know, when people talk about like selling houses and like just throw an extra percent on it. And I'm like, that's so much money. Like, you know, cause it's just a house is way different than a percent of like uh, a tip on a check at a bar. Yeah. And I'm wondering a percent on these guys is like, you know, millions and millions of dollars. I wonder if they even like, I wonder if that translates still, but again, there's something to it as a fan that gets you excited and just at least like, I hope they're going to invest money in the team, go out in free agency, use all of the salary cap that we have. You know what I mean? Like that's what I'm looking for. Well, and I hope he does the same thing that his sister did because the Colorado Avalanche are up 3-0 in the NHL yeah. Western Conference Finals right now <laughs> and are right. cruising to what is likely going to be a Stanley Cup Finals appearance, if nothing else. Um, and so much of that too comes down to hiring you know, your, your president of, of football operations, your general manager, like hiring the right people, right? Colorado hired Joe Sackick, who was a legendary player yeah. for the Avalanche, and then ultimately turned into, uh, I think right now, the best GM in hockey. Now, I, I don't have a massive, you know, you know, with, I'm, I'm going off of people who follow hockey a lot more than I have, who, who have said that, um, you know, know what you don't know. I'm a firm believer in that. But also like, Scotty, your Warriors are the exact same way. Right. When Joe Lacombe bought the Warriors, invested a lot of money. But the best thing he ever did was hire Bob Myers. Hiring Bob yep. Myers to run that organization, finding the right person is to run the team is just as important as having the right owner. And I've said this forever. Name me the team that has won a championship in their sport and has bad ownership. Everything trickles yeah. down from the top. The only example that I've ever really been able to come up with is Dan Gilbert, who's the owner of the Cavs. Yeah. And, but so yeah. much of that was because LeBron came back and it was, they were also down three, one in the series and had this whole thing, right. The whole comeback series in, in 2016. Right. So yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, it's LeBron James. Like LeBron is as important to that team as Dan Gilbert was and credit to Dan Gilbert. He at least was willing to sign the checks. Mm -hmm. And if, if nothing else, bare minimum, especially if you have, you know, one of the greatest players in that sport, if you're at least willing to sign the check, then you're not a complete garbage, you know, bag of, of an owner. But you know, to your point, LeBron also humbled his ass by leaving and then coming back and everyone hated Dan Gilbert there forever. Um, and, and to your point, like he acted differently when they won. Well, and remember think, too, when he went to my, when LeBron left to Miami, Dan Gilbert wrote that like petty oh, ass God. letter, like open yeah. letter and, and basically shit on LeBron and said the Cavs didn't need him. They're going to be better. And that also didn't play well because it was kind of like pouring salt in the wound. Yeah, and everyone's like, dude, bad. we all know this isn't true. We just lost one of the best players of all time, potentially. At that time, no one really knew. But you still lost LeBron James. So everyone was already blown about that to begin with. Um, the, the, where these evaluations come from, though, is to me, I, and this I joked with you guys before we were recording, but like this is the first time my sports management degree, every once in a while, my sports management degree like comes into play here, you know, mm -hmm. and it actually is helpful. And I've learned a ton from it. Sometimes I don't use it at all, but it's one of these moments where like it really comes into play. And I remember like talking about this and, and really comes down to three things like in this order, right? The, the thing more than anything else that will make your, your team valued, right? Number one on the list is the Dallas Cowboys at $5.7 billion, right? The Dallas Cowboys have won, two playoff games since their last Super Bowl, which is in 1995. All right. Number one, <laughs> it's brand, right? Yep, That's all it is. Brand. BSA is the acronym. So number one, B is your brand. All right. If you have a big brand, right? I'll go through the top three. Number one, the Dallas Cowboys. Number two, the New York Yankees. Number three is an example for why uh, the second letter of the uh, – what do you call those things? Acronym? Acronym, yeah. Um, second letter of the acronym comes in, but it's New York Knicks. Number four, Barcelona. 
Number five, Real Madrid. Six, the Warriors. Seven, the Lakers, right? So those are all examples of huge brands that typically come with either storied success, right? Long yeah. periods of success, especially when TV was completely different. Um, you know, back in the day when you would have, you know, one team on, on nationally, or, or you only saw in the 1980s, you know, Magic and Bird playing on tape delay. And those were the only like, national basketball games you were getting outside of the one or two a week that you would get. Those were the teams that casual fans in, you know, the middle parts of the country who maybe didn't have a team in their area grew up watching and they became fans, right? The Cowboys, we've talked about that story all the time about America's team and the, the origin of that story. Same thing with the Yankees, the Yankees and their 27 rings, like long storied success and branding is what takes the top spot when it comes to this. Cause that's where the value ultimately comes in. The second thing, the S is your stadium. And that is why the New York Knicks, despite being a dumpster fire of an organization for so long, is still the number three on this list. Because the New York Knicks and Madison Square Garden alone, which the ownership group is Madison Square Garden Sports, that ownership group owns the Rangers and owns the New York Knicks. So already they have a ton of value. But Madison Square Garden alone is worth over $2 billion. Yeah. So you take out $2 billion right from that 5 billion you're getting a more accurate representation of what the brand of the New York Knicks is which <laughs> 3 billion dollars still is a lot because but that's more because going back to the first thing it's New York City the location plays a big factor in that too LA New York you're going to see a lot of those teams ultimately have big you know fan bases uh and that kind of goes into location which is yeah. kind of a part of brand like you can kind of use that totally. as another one on the list because well, it's um, a new york hat that you're getting and it's the knicks right like it's it, to your point it's totally has to do with the population there and also like um the brand that they can build out from like spike lee is not known for like how great he is at different he's known for his brand he's known for his personality is you know his well he's i mean he was a I mean, pretty amazing director yeah, my, my point yeah. is that it's not like he's like an amazing athlete sitting on the sideline who's like incredible it's just like no he, he knows branding that guy yeah. knows branding and that guy's your biggest fan you're gonna be good at it <laughs> and he's a diehard knicks fan right yeah, and so growing exactly. up when the knicks were good and you saw spike lee on the sidelines during games and you saw him doing the choke sign you know to to reggie miller in the playoffs back in the 90s like that stuff resonated with people and he looked cool and he was swaggy and it was hip with the time and people gravitated towards that because you couldn't just watch all of these games at the drop of a hat. Uh, the, the last one here, and this goes into your Russell Wilson point, is assets. And I think the Warriors even kind of fall into this a little bit too. Mm. Um, now, the Warriors' new building obviously is, is an exceedingly yeah. massive part of the reason as to why they're here, but also the success that they've had having Steph Curry, having the run that they've had, having Kevin Durant for those couple of years, all of those assets that they had as a team ultimately helped build up the brand to the level where it's now what the uh, sixth biggest sports franchise in the world at 4.7 billion. Well, and to your point, it's not all, it's not like it's also, they're just getting a bunch of veterans to come back and say, let's try and win one more. It's like, all right, yeah, you have your big three that you had a long time ago with Draymond Clay and Steph but a lot of these other guys are younger who are coming up. So it's not like it's all on the pay books or on your book for the next two years. And then you're done. You're not going to be in the finals every year forever, but you're not going to also drop into 30. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and the last, the last thing here too, which also contributes it, but not to an individual team spot, but more the league that they're in is mm -hmm. television and TV contracts. Uh, we've talked about TV contracts, especially in, in baseball here. We've talked about it with football and some other things 
Uh, I would be fascinated to know where some college football teams, like where Alabama would fall on this ranking, probably not until like the thirties, like Texas. Yeah. Um, But if, you know, if they were getting those TV contracts directly and it wasn't through the NCAA, if they did ever do a professional style, you know, college football, that would be totally different. But when you look at the list here, right in the, in the top 10, you have the big brands, Yankees, Cowboys, Lakers, Knicks, these big national brands, Barcelona, obviously, Real Madrid. Um, But the further down you go, like once you get to number eight, you get the Patriots at number eight, the Giants at number nine, the New York Giants. Uh, You continue scrolling down to Los Angeles Rams tied for 13th, the San Francisco 49ers at 15th. Uh, Stop me when you notice a trend. The New York Jets at the 17th, the Chicago Bears at 18th. The Washington football team at 19. Wow. And the Philadelphia Eagles at 21. So just they don't the even top, have a team name in there in the top 20. <laughs> yeah. Right. The Washington whatevers are the 19th most valuable team. The Houston Texans at 23. The uh, Denver Broncos, this was for 2021, but at, wow. in 2021 at 20, they were number 25 at 3.2 billion. Right. So again, there yeah. are far more NFL teams at the top of that because the NFL continues to be the most dominant product. Uh, and, and that goes back to what we were talking about with the Portland Trailblazers, right? Like we're throwing out these numbers for the Denver Broncos, who success-wise are kind of on par to where the Portland Trailblazers are. And we've talked forever about how, you know, the, the NBA wow. has been catching up to a certain degree. But that shows a very distinct gap between where an average NFL team and an average, you know, an NBA team and even a, a shitty NFL team like the Washington football team or the Jets ranked at 17 and 19 compare in Chicago at 18 compared to the Portland trailblazers. Yeah. That goes to your point point. about the market, like the, right. Like those are Mm -hmm. all big cities, Chicago, no matter how shitty they look and how bad Matt Nagy can try, they're not going to lose their value. Apparently. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause I was wondering as you were going down the list, like why aren't there more worlds, you know, soccer football, soccer teams, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like where I'm surprised that there, there weren't as many uh, that you were Manchester city or Liverpool. it's, It's, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like it's so, all top heavy though, for the most part. In other those than leagues, right, right so after, right after the NFL, and this goes back to the TV contract conversation, yeah. right? Because the next valuable TV product internationally is the premier league. Right. right. So after that, the next league that kind of dominates that is European soccer where, you know, you have those two in the top seven Barcelona at number four, Real Madrid at number five. Those are both in La Liga. Right. Yeah. But then you go at number 10, Bayern Munich, number 11, okay. Manchester United, number 12, oh, Liverpool, yeah. uh, number 13, tied with the L.A. Rams, Manchester City. Uh, okay. and, and so after the NFL and the top end of soccer, which, again, all of those clubs are with the exception of some of the Premier League teams, because um, there was like three Premier League teams, two La Liga teams and then Bayern Munich. After you get past those three European, you know, things at the top it does tend to fall off whereas the nfl then continues to kind of fill in those back yeah. plus all of those teams like real madrid and barcelona and Bayern munich are the clear cut they're the yankees of their league yeah. they're the, That's, the yeah. lakers of their league right they're the most recognizable brands internationally like i couldn't tell you i don't think i could name another german team from the germ from a uh, bundesliga oh i like this game or i bet you could be let's big <laughs> like Wolfsburg. I, like, I think I would recognize some names. And even in the top 25, you have Chelsea at number 25, Frankfurt. who just, uh, you know, just got bought. Um, but 
but it's all the NFL teams one after another, after another. I mean, it's just, it's a fascinating look whenever this kind of things happen. And I think once a year, whenever one of these stories comes out, people go to the Forbes list and they, and they go and they look, which is where we're getting this from. And and they go look and be like, Oh, like, I wonder who the top teams are. And it's always going to be those top brands, the same fans that we love to make fun of who have, you know, a Cowboys hat on a Lakers jacket, t-shirt, you know, a <laughs> Lakers jacket and a Yankees t-shirt on. Right. It, those, those are the same fans that I love to make fun of and rightfully so, but there's also like real world implications to how these <laughs> leagues end up working and why the Cowboys stay as relevant as they do. You know, why is it that in week seven, when the Cowboys are three and four, the first take a block is going to be, you know, is Dak Prescott the best? Why did we have so many Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz right. debates over the years? Right. When in reality, statistically, Dak Prescott has been basically Kirk Cousins, but a little bit better. You know, he's his his ceiling has been better, but not by a whole lot. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I always find these things pretty interesting. And, I do too. I, the, the last thing I was going to say is that whenever these come out, me and my like in a group text with especially friends that follow soccer um, will always just be like, you know, I was looking at the values by the way. And if we all just like work our asses off and don't spend any money in the next like 10 years, we could buy a six tier soccer team and really just make that, you know, and climb the league each year and get to the premier league and become millionaires. And I was like, you know what? I know that has the smallest chance of working, but it's happening now. And, and I was watching uh, on Let's Netflix. Buy a There's bar. The, the right. It, yeah, yeah it's, it's, the new, it's the new version of yeah. It's dude. We should buy a bar. And on Netflix, they have uh, Dave Letterman's like my next guest, where he's interviewing people, and he interviews Ryan Reynolds. And Ryan Reynolds apparently did this. He got spoken him, by his friend, and he him. owns some. Yeah, who is it? It's it's him and Rob McElhenney from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Is it really? Yeah, they yeah. own some small tier like no, soccer it, team. Not no, it's not a small tier team. It's a it's a big. It's like a pretty big team. Oh, is it? Okay, D- yeah, they're they're hilarious though. He was like, yeah, I own it. I don't know much about it, but I'm like, we're working on it, and like you know, wreck some FC. Yeah, which so I think funny. which I think they're in the Champions League or the Championship League, whatever the whatever the tier down the yeah. one below. Yeah, they're so right below Premier League. That's wild. Uh, but they weren't there. What a before, great name. So. Yeah. Wrexham. <laughs> um, anyway, so fun. So fun. And now we got to get Zach. Zach Paca on the. Uh... Yeah. All right. They're in. Uh... Oh, no. OK, I was wrong. They're in the fifth tier. You're you were right. I don't know why I thought they were a, it was a bigger team than it was. Shows you how much I know about European soccer. Um, I know about evaluation, though. I know that at least. All hey. right, uh, quick break. We're going to come back, rank the top 10 tight ends in the NFL, as well as our top five drinking days of the year. All that on the other side as we wrap up this Tuesday edition of The Redoctor. All right, so we're back to our, our ranking season, which now that we're in June, it's like basically officially like ranking season just for most sports, like sports media. Like we still yeah. have the U.S. Open and the British Open or just the Open um, in golf. But other than that, like we're basically staring down the rest of the NBA finals and then talking head season where we just got to come up with a bunch of shit to talk about. So I think what we decided is in addition to doing our position rankings, we're also going to do a fun ranking that's shorter uh, like three or four, like a top three or a top five or something kind of like this. This is what we're going to start doing moving forward. Cause I think that'll be add a little fun wrinkle as we, uh, as we, f- you know, fight with every other million podcasts out there that are fighting for your, eye- your earballs. Um, all right. Top 10 tight ends in the NFL. I'm yes. not talking about Jalen hurts his ass. Uh, number one, 
Vito, since you have not been here in a while, I'll give you the first the first pick. Who do you have at number one overall? I have Mark Andrews. I think when you consider age into this, yeah. I, that's who I went with. Um, I think he's in the top three. Uh, I, I, this is a, a, the tier, the top tier for tight ends is kind of a mix there. Um, I have like the top four tight ends as a group, but Mark Andrews for me was number one because um, he can do everything. And he's also, a, he's a better blocker than people give him credit for with that run heavy offense. But he was last year, just took a massive leap ahead in pass catching. What about you guys? I have Mark Andrews at five. Okay. What? Okay. You're insane. I, I look, I knew I was going to get some heat for this. Um, it's not that he's not a really, really good player. In my eyes, the top five guys on this list um, are all kind of in the same kind of tier. And then I think it kind of falls off with the potential for who I have at six could easily jump into that mix as well. But okay. um, Mark Andrews is, is a very good, very good player. I don't think there's a huge gap between who my number one is and who, where he is. I don't think he's, that I think he's a willing blocker. And I think that is something that you don't see out of a lot of tight ends in the modern NFL. I think he's a good pass catcher. Um, but you got to remember like last year, he was the number one fantasy tight end, right? So he became like the trendy guy. People talk, but he had a great season the year before he had a major problem with dropping balls. Uh, he was inconsistent and he got better as a route runner last year than he had two years ago, which is an added bonus. No question. And he's still not like an elite blocking tight end. So in my eyes, I kind of take out the good, the, his best season last year and his worst season the year before that. And it's like, all right, well, then where is he? He's probably somewhere in the middle. And in my eyes, I think he is a top five tight end in the NFL, but I don't think he's number one. And, and I, I think there are other guys I would rather have before Mark Andrews. He also benefits from playing with Lamar Jackson, which well, if also- you put him on other teams, I just, we don't know because that offense is so unique. It is. It's, hard, it's hard to judge what he it's would be heavy. on any other team. And, and I will say, but it's his third year. So I, I see last year as a sophomore slump, but I totally that makes sense for why, why you grade how you did. What about you, Scott? Who you got at one? Number two, uh, number one, I have well, Travis no, where Kelsey. Did, well, where did you where did you have Mark Andrews? Uh, Mark Andrews, I had number two. I mean, oh, he's top ten in in uh, in yards. Uh, sorry, he's number one in yards. He's top ten in uh, yards per catch. Uh, he's number two in touchdowns. Uh, the guy gets it done every single year, and he's been one of the most consistent guys on this list. I think, especially if you're, if we're talking about tight ends, we have to sort of, sort of tier them. Right. I mean, we've done this with some of the wide receivers, but I think it's a little more clear cut who the, the tiering and not to get all fantasy on you, but like that is sort of how I view um, tight ends in the league. So. But a lot of that's uh, also target share. Like sure. and that's, that's and, another and thing look, too, where it's just like who, like we've talked about this before, like who else is going to catch passes on that Baltimore Ravens offense, right? Who else yeah. was catching passes last year? Yes, that makes him super valuable in fantasy, but if I'm starting team number 33 in the NFL and you're giving me guys that I could have any tight end in the league, I don't know what he is outside of that offense. And, and he, again, I could be totally wrong. I'm totally willing to admit that. I'm just saying that's why I have reservations and then put him aside. But I also get the justification for putting him that high, too. The numbers were last year were phenomenal. Um, all right, well then, so you had him at two. You, you kind of leaked it there, but you have number one, same Travis one as Kelsey. me. Travis yeah. Kelsey. I have Travis Kelsey number one overall still too. And I have Kelsey yeah. at two. So yeah. I mean, there's not it's, there's not a whole lot we can say, right? I mean, he's it's been nothing but <laughs> best production. <in> the game. <laughs> there's there's nothing but production. He's also arguably, I think probably the second or third best blocking tight end in, in the league. Um, when you talk about guys who are number one options, like they're a pure blocking tight end still, like every team carries one or two of them. Um, and, and I think Kelsey is physically still a monster. And on top of it, too, 
I'm really curious to see how he looks this year. You know, when we're and his age is definitely a factor. I think he's 31, yeah. 32. So this is probably the last year that I would rank him this high. Um, but I think Kelsey deserves a lot of just, I mean, at this point, it's kind of like the same thing with Gronk. Like it's Gronk until somebody else not would knock them off until Travis Kelsey inevitably did. And then at this point, it's gonna be Travis Kelsey until somebody knocks him off. And that's yeah. that's why I have him at number one. Who's your two then? Uh for me, I have George Kittle. Uh, the, mm, in, nice. the injury concern is a big deal. No question. Um, but the, the, the re the thing with Kittle is I think he's as good of a pass catcher when he's healthy as anybody on this list. And I think he's the best blocking tight end in football. Um, that dude is an absolute freak athlete. He's a fullback playing tight end, like mentally, like he's just wired in that crazy psycho kind of way. Oh, and we saw it in the playoffs during that run that the Niners took to the NFC championship game. Like, he made some spectacular plays when they needed him. He had like his spectacular, spectacular catch rating in Madden should be crazy high, even though he does all the other stuff you need him to do. He's unbelievably versatile. Um, and, and the only reason I didn't have him number one is because of the injuries. It's been two years in a row now. He's been banged up and, and has missed significant time throughout the season. But when he's healthy, I, it's hard for me to even put Kelsey ahead of him, honestly. I agree with you. That's, he's my three. Um, and, yep. and it's for exactly why you said, um, uh, and yeah, you too, Scott. Yeah. He's three for me. Um, and, and it's the injuries, right? It, when he's on the field, he's spectacular. Um, uh, but, but even when he was on the field, uh, even playing hurt, uh, there were times where Jimmy Garoppolo would look elsewhere and not to mention the fact that, uh, and he's a huge part of it, but the running game takes over in, in a lot of these games lately since Kyle Shanahan's been the head coach. Uh, and so, uh, not to say that 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 doesn't affect Kittle because he's a huge part of the run game, um, and it opens up a lot of stuff for himself too. So uh, that's why I'm at three. He's he's a one of my favorite expressions I learned from Coach Rick Neuheisel. He's a football playing Jesse. Yeah, so that's the kind of guy. Like <laughs> like if you just if you knew nothing about football and you watched it and you saw Travis, you big who's that guy? Like who, who's that guy who's running people over and tackling defensive ends all the way into the ground on one-on-one, even though he's undersized, like who's yeah. that dude out there all the way up field for too. Debo Samuels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and who's that dude who's also making spectacular catches in the end zone. It's like, he's, yeah. he's a football playing Jesse. And I fucking love uh, yeah. George Kittle. <laughs> um, all right. So you guys, one, two, three have been out. My number three is Darren Waller. Um, and he doesn't do a whole lot in the blocking game, you know, in the run block. Uh, he can do a little bit of blocking downfield mainly just because of his size but he's the most dynamic pass catcher out of this group. Um, and, and there's a guy who plays in Atlanta who might have a word to say with that, you know, this year in the next coming years. But as we stand right now, his height, his length, his speed, he's honestly, he's changed the way that a lot of teams look at the tight end position in the NFL. And that's like one of the biggest compliments that you can pay a professional athlete, which is that like they changed the way that they scouted. They were like, when you get said like, I'm looking for a Darren Waller type. And right. I, I just, to me, he is the number one option and not anymore because Devontae Adams is there. But I mean, that offense with Derek Carr having both of you know, Devontae and Darren Waller, those two guys alone are, that's going to be a problem for people. Um, and I think his side, he's like six, six and he's fast as hell. He runs like a four, six, 40 converted wide receiver and he's kind of given life to the, you know, Mike Kosicki's and the Firemuths and these kind of non-blocking tight ends who are just receiver guys. But they're a mismatch nightmare 
for, you know, outside linebackers and nickel corners and guys that have to try to match up with. So I think just from that value alone, every team could stand to have Darren Waller on the team and they'd become a better football team. I couldn't agree more. He's my four. He's my next guy on the list because he, of all of everything you said, I just, I do have Mark Andrews as that same style, but, but probably he's used blocking more. So maybe I'm a little skewed there, which, but, but to your point, I don't think you can put anyone above Darren Waller in terms of his vertical threat on a field as a tight end. He, he really, to your point, redefines how safeties even cover tight ends. Like usually, right. You'd see safeties get down low if it's like man to man or whatever, and they're doing cover one. He's, getting down low. You don't do that against Darren Waller. Cause you're more worried like, Oh shit, he could blow right past me. Like yeah. and it could be one of the most embarrassing plays of the season. You basically have to put your number one corner on it. Like when, when the Raiders would play last year, he would get number one cornerbacks on. Mm-hmm. And even still he, the size mismatch alone, contested catches, all that stuff. Like I, again, as much as I like Mark you- Andrews, Mark Andrews, isn't the athlete or the, the pass catcher that I think, you know, Darren Waller is. I just, I, I between the two of them, I would rather have Waller. Uh, random question. Sorry to throw this in here, but no, I need to ask. Do, do you think that if Calvin Johnson came into the league today, that he would be playing the Darren Waller tight end spot? Because I physically, I like, they're so much bigger than the corners to your point. Maybe he was more of a freak of nature. At, like, yeah. Wise, but what do you he think? was, he was too fast. Yeah. He, he was too fast. He, you know, Waller doesn't have that speed. I mean, Calvin Johnson ran like what, like a four, three, five, 40. Yeah. It was like something, it was like sub four, four. Yeah. It was. Um, I mean, yeah. Calvin Johnson was in the league of his own. Um, but that size, just, it's that yeah. same size of like the miss. Oh, so crazy. It Sorry. is. No, no, you're good. And I think Waller is actually a little bit bigger, but not by a whole lot, but I think he's a little bit bigger um, than Calvin Johnson, but it is that size matchup. Um, and, and it was a guy who was like, Hey, we can convert you to tight end. And just, it was a brilliant move. Like, you know, people can shit on John Gruden all they want and I will continue to do so as well. <laughs> but one thing that you can't take away from John Gruden is that that was a brilliant decision to take him from a wide receiver who was, you know, borderline, not even going to make the roster and saying, Hey, slide down, learn the tight end position. And who knows, maybe, you know, JJ Arthago Whiteside will be the same thing for the Eagles this year. Um, all right. Uh, where did you have Waller Scotty? Uh, number four. Same as four as well. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, all right. Well, that takes us to my number four, then, I guess, which you guys are probably going to give me shit for. Um, but I have Dallas Goddard. Um, I'm this... not, I'm not going to give you shit for it because neither. All right. Well, <laughs> that's good to know. Um, Dallas Goddard, when you look at his numbers, like post Zach Ertz trade last year, was the number three tight end in football last year, and he missed games to injury. Um, fantastic blocker he's got that george kittle a little bit of that football playing jesse and he's really really good blocker um but he's also a phenomenal receiving tight end like i i i I feel like he's one of those players in my head where i'm like why doesn't why don't mo like what am i missing why do i see it this way but i don't feel like national people see him in the same light um because every time i watch him play and granted i watch him play more than most people as an eagles fan but every time I watch him play, I'm just I'm I'm blown away at, at the consistency of him. You that's know? It. it. No, that's it. It's the consistency. He's a Philly guy, man. He's a guy. He tries his ass off every play and you know what you're going to get from him like that. That's a football player. Everybody loves. The only thing that people don't like in Philly about him is first name's Dallas. That's about it. I mean, yeah. besides that, he's number six on my list. So I think he's in that next tier down from my first tier. But I think he's at the top of that tier. And I don't think it's a very big one. Um, but the point is, is that I'm with you, man. I think he's he's very good. I think in a couple, like in even a year, if we do this one next year, I'd be shocked if he wasn't definitely in my top five, not top three. Like he, he's on his way up. 
And I think he's been hurt by spending the first three years of his career underneath the, or four years of his career underneath the Zach Ertz, you know, shadow a little bit. Right. And they were splitting targets, which ultimately made the offense better a lot of times, but hurt him individually. And it was really, and like, I think the fact that this, the Eagles got him on, I think it's like a four year and like $70 million contract, like a, an absolute steal of a contract was one of the you know brilliant moves that how he made this off season. As much as I've shit on him in the past, I give credit where credit's due because signing him to that deal when he could come out and be, especially because Jalen hurts loves throwing to him. Mm-hmm. He could easily be a top two, top three tight end, you know, not only in like fantasy rankings, but like in the NFL. I agree. Um, I, 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 yeah, he's an interesting case sitting that. Um, all right. So then number five for me was Andrews. Where do you guys have him? Or sorry, Scotty, what do you, what was your thoughts on Goddard here before we move on? I have him at five. Uh, Perfect. And, and, Great transition. And it's just, an, yeah, an absolute breakout uh, this year. And, and it's again, partially because he came out from, uh, from a bit of the shadow of Zach Ertz and partially because he's really good and he's really good with the quarterback. He's got Jalen Hurts, who's thrown him the ball. They had a connection in college. And look, even that notwithstanding, I think he's just, he does everything he's asked to do. And he's a great pass catcher on top of that. So did you say Jalen Hurts and Dallas Goddard played with each other in college? Didn't they both go to Oklahoma? Oh, no. What am I? No, Dallas Goddard went to South Dakota State. South Dakota State. Boy, Grant's got the connection with with him. Mark Mark Andrews. Oh, sorry. I was thinking of him. I was thinking of our buddy uh, Grant Calcaterra here. There we go. who should be on this list at some point. I, I don't career. know if I've ever told this story on the pod, and if I have, I forget. But I was – JMU was playing in the national semifinals at in Harrisonburg, and I was on the field during the game before I got escorted out because I had the wrong um, field press pass. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, you true, told true, true story. Um, but I watched Dallas Goddard catch a one-handed touchdown pass in the, in the corner of the end zone. The only time South Dakota State would score in that game. Um, but it was I, I was standing at the goal line on this on the uh, the west side of the stadium and I was maybe 20 feet away from the play as it happened and I watched this dude go up and catch the ball and I was like the Eagles have to draft that guy like so please because cool. I just I just was like oh my god this is it was one of the most amazing catches I've ever seen and I was like 25 feet away from it the whole time it was it was yeah it was something uh, all awesome. right so uh number five for you was Goddard uh, number five for you, Vito, is TJ Hawkinson. Mm. So okay. I had him at five, Dallas Goddard at six. I think like they're in that group. I, I really like him. I think if he's not in the Lions, I think he's probably a little higher on a lot of people's like fantasy lists and everything like that. He's still good anyway. I just I really think he's a complete player. And um, I, I just like the way he plays. It's it's rare that you see when you're watching a team like the Lions, like someone jump off the screen. And for me, he did a lot of last year. So that's why I have him in here. And tight ends are kind of in that that same group that usually take a year or two before mm-hmm. they kind of like burst, kind of like defensive tackles, like their bodies fill up. Yeah. Tight ends get asked to do so much. It's the most underappreciated position in football. It always has. And I played tight end. And so like I, no, I I'm so biased, Grant's, but no, Grant's quote about it. Grant Calcaterra drafted by the Eagles. Uh, his quote was. You have to know everything the offensive line knows and everything the quarterback knows. Yep. Because you might line up at receiver, you might line up in the backfield, and you definitely have to know all the passing and block schemes. So and run schemes. So yeah, you, I, you, I agree. You get asked to know a lot, and I think T.J. Hawkinson coming from you know tight end you in in Iowa, right? And that class with him and Fant, 
he was the less athletic but more kind of pro ready one and i i like him more than noah fan i have him at number so. seven i have him at number seven on my list okay. um I'm a, I'm a big tj hawkinson fan um I think he's in line similar to Goddard where I think he's on the, on the cusp of kind of having that breakout year. And I'm really excited to see what it has. I I'm a big TJ Hawkinson fan. Yeah. Same. I have him at six. Uh, so we're all right in the, in the same ballpark there. Oh, wow. He had the yeah. second lowest drop rate at 1.6% among tight ends. And the uh, he's in the, in the, uh, in the first spot in, uh, in contested catches among tight ends was 78.6. His blocking is a bit of a question mark. Yeah. Um, but he's getting better at it. So, uh, but he's a will- going back to that concept of a willing blocker. Yeah. There are tight ends who like, no offense to the Penn state boys, like Gesicki who like, he's, they don't really use him that way. I'm sure right. he would if, if they asked him to, yeah, but he does like, the body size. That's, either, like, that's not really his yeah. thing. Like that's not what he's built to do. So they don't u- ask him to do that. And unless it's like a bubble screen or something like that. Um, but like Hawkinson lines up tight end, you know, especially in that offense with Dan Campbell running that team, like he's, he has to have that nitty gritty in him and, and he 100% does. So then you had Goddard at six as well, right? Vito. Yes. All right. So my number six is Kyle Pitts. It's my number um, seven. So, all yeah. right. Uh, and again, there's a chance by this time next year, we're talking about him number two, number three as well. Yeah. Uh, there were, there were flashes of why he was drafted number three overall. Right. There, there are flashes as to our number four, wherever he went in the top five. Um, there are flashes as to why they somebody took a tight end as high as they did. Uh, I, I don't know really what we're going to see this year out of Atlanta, whether it's Mariota, whether we see Desmond Ritter get in. I, I'm still not really sure what to expect. But either way, when you're looking at just the player, it's really hard not to look at Kyle Pitts and, and the, what we saw out of him in those moments and be like, this dude is absolutely dynamic. The size, the speed, the strength. The route runner. Yeah. I mean, he's Similar a wider, to Waller too. Yeah, I, 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 he's like a more explosive Waller. Honestly, yeah. he's Waller, but just a little less bit, a little less tall, but a much better, like, ex, more explosive athlete. Um, I think he's more cut from that Calvin Johnson kind of clock. Yeah, your question earlier, you know, Vito, where it's that explosive athlete who still has a shitload of size and speed. Um, I mean, I think he ran a sub four five forty. Uh, in his uh, 40 time there last year. So yeah. uh, I have him here. It's a little bit of an upside pick, but I feel like when you see guys who have that high-end potential and you see those flashes, it's enough to buy in and be like, no, this dude's going to be really good. It's just, he's still young. It's still a matter of time. Totally agree. Like you said, he ran a 4.44. I mean, this dude for help, you know, he's, he's not small either. Um, he's uh six six two forty two forty. Jesus Christ. Yeah crazy yeah. so jesus christ um no i i totally in agreement and, and man i really hope like you said i i really hope we see some good shit out of him this year i'm, I'm excited but a lot, of tight a lot ends, of targets a lot of tight ends everyone's got to remember uh to your point earlier about mark andrews a lot of them regress in their second year and then take another leap forward so yeah. i don't know why that is it's like quarterbacks and tight ends are like the ones that do that and well, uh, Pitts is kind of in that pure wide receiver tight end kind yeah of role. right so hopefully it doesn't affect him as much but i'll say this for falcons fans listening uh, good luck to secondaries man i mean the size alone between drake london at six five that they drafted <laughs> in the first round and then kyle pitts on the outside those are your two top weapons they're gonna have size advantages you know on the outside a lot next season so i hope i hope we see i hope marcus mariota does well honestly i've Me always too. been a fan of his um, but if not, I also love Desmond Ritter, um, and, and I'd love to see Desmond. Ritter I'm high on Atlanta, which is dumb to say out loud. Okay, we got. They're gonna be a. They're gonna be a fun team to watch. Like That's just it. like like uh, like Chargers rookie year with Herbert. 
you know, like you knew the team probably yeah. wasn't going to be that good. I think they were like a 500, slightly below 500 team, but you're just going to kind of like them and kind of root for them. That's kind of where I see Atlanta right now. Um, all right. So then I have Pitts at six. Scotty, who did you have at six? I had uh, Hawkinson at six. Hawkins. All right. So we can move on to number seven. I had Hawkinson seven. Where did you have at seven, Scotty? Kyle Pitts. Kyle at Pitts. Seven. All right. Done. Easy. Well, so Vito. all our top sevens were the same. And we talked about this one tier, two tier. So I feel like yep. we we pretty much solid. Yeah, hit it up. So for eight, um, if that's your, is that yep, where you're going? That's, that's where we're heading next. So finish I got Fryermuth. I got Fryermuth. This is a little homer pick, but I do think he's a better tight end than Gasecki even. I, I really like Fryermuth. I think he's going to be um, in that offense and, and how he'll be used. He can, he can, um, he's got a little size. He can definitely block and, and he's a great catcher. I, I like him a lot and this is probably high. I know that. Uh, but for me, this was my my pick of of a guy who could definitely explode on the scene. I had him at nine. Did you? Yeah, I, I mean, I have I have him right again in that next tier. Um, there's and I'll say now, I just I just stick at eight. Um, I I'm just stick at nine. Yeah, so <laughs> it's just I, that to me is just like I think there's a little more explosive play. I think we've just seen a little more. I think Farmuth in the long run probably will be the better tight end. Um, Cause I do think he's a little more well-rounded and I think he and Kenny Pickett, I think it's a really good matchup. Um, but I, uh, I, I just, I like the, the big play stuff with Gesicki. And so that was kind of just the big difference. He's also really, really good in the red zone. Yeah. Um, I think he was like the number two or number three tight end in the red zone in the NFL last year, which has a lot considering some of the names we brought up on this list. Uh, and he and Tua have a great relationship. So he's been able to at least showcase some stuff, you know, with big Ben at 40 years old, you know, slinging whatever's left of his arm, trying to get you the ball. You know, the fact that we saw Pat Fryermuth look as good as he did as a rookie is impressive. So I look forward to a, a second year jump for him. Uh, Scotty, who did you have eight, nine? Uh, at eight, I had Dalton Schultz. Really? Oh, Dalton Dallas Schultz. Boy. Dallas tied in. Yeah. I mean, uh, to me, he's, he had a bit of a breakout this year. Um, he did. And, and they, they used him as a, primarily as a blocker for the first two years. Um, he's not going to tear you up in single coverage. Um, he's a guy who's going to be able to run mesh outs and get open uh, underneath uh, against some of these linebackers uh, and work some of the soft spots in the middle. Uh, he was in the top six last year uh, in both drop rate at 3.4% and contested catches at 62.3. Uh, so, or 63.2, sorry. Uh, dyslexic um, but I expect him especially uh, now being one of the I think he's moved up the notch in the in the receiving options um, with the uh, with the loss of Amari Cooper there um, so I expect him to have a, a pretty solid uh, solid year and take a step forward that's interesting so the because I, I did have him attend to round out my top 10 um, and I almost didn't want to put him in that even because I think he benefited a lot from the embarrassment of riches that the guy Dallas Cowboys had last year between Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Tony Pollard out of the backfield, Ezekiel Elliott out of the backfield, and then uh, Cedric Wilson too. Play, and I uh, saw Michael Gallup and Cedric yeah. Wilson. So he was really like what, like the sixth or seventh option. So I think he was the open guy. I think he really benefited from just like, well, we're sending out six guys on catches. They're not going to be able to pass routes that they're not all going to get a chance. And Dak was just good about getting him the ball, but you have to give credit where credit's due at the same time. And so that's why I still kept him in the top 10. Um, but I would be surprised if he replicates what he did last year, this year, 
But if he ended up being a top 10 tight end this year, I, I wouldn't be totally shocked either. So um, I think he's right in that same kind of ballpark. No, I mean, they're, I have him on the outside looking in, but, you know, he's not far off uh, considered him. But I, I agree. I just don't think he – if I was to pick a new team, he's not a guy I would say, oh, that's a top 10 tight end I want on my team. That's that's a good – yeah, that's a good way of putting it. But also, to Scott's point, like, the numbers don't lie. Like, they don't. The fact, the fact that he's top six in, in both um, drop rate and – and contested catches means that he catches the ball that he's supposed to catch, but he also is really good at going up and getting the balls. He's probably not supposed to get. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's impressive. All right. So Scotty, who'd you have at number nine? Then? I'm at nine, I had Friar Muth. I was going to say, no, neither of the Penn state guys off the board yet for you. Guys. Well, one of them's on the outside looking in. So there you go. Oh, right. wow. So he's on the outside looking in. Huh? <laughs> wow. Wait, so who yeah. then, so are all our through, we're all through nine then. Jeff, I had Jeff Pat Frymuth at nine. Yeah. Ten. Yeah. Pat I had Prime. Schultz at 10. So. All right. Who do you have at 10, Scotty? Scott, I have Dawson Knox. Same. Mm. I and, and here's the only reason you're I Jeff, I, I do wish that Josh Allen gave him the ball more, but Josh Allen slings the ball uh all over the pitch until they get in the red zone where Dawson Knox is and has been his number one target over the last couple of years. Dawson Knox, uh I think he was. Uh, I think he was third last year in touch, second or third in touchdowns uh, for a tight end. And I would reckon, if I could look up the stat really quickly, most of them came within uh, the ten yard line. So, um, so yeah, that's that's why I have him at ten. I think I think he's a reliable guy who's going to be able to open up stuff for the rest of the offense, and uh, and he, he'll score you touchdowns. The yeah, best. I mean, go ahead, Vito, and I because I, I have one other thought here with Dawson Knox. Well, I was going to say that's, you know, that, yeah, that's my number 10 too. And I think what I loved about him is that uh, last year he did the opposite of what I said. A lot of tight ends do, right? He took a step forward in his second year there. And, and I really, or third year, I'm sorry. He did take a step back in a second and then that was third year. Um, and he really did uh, come on the scene. And I think another part of it is I liked him earlier on when he was like actually handing the dirt and, and bills throw more than anybody now. Right. But, two, three years ago was uh, when Josh Allen was not throwing as much. Um, he was still like noticeable. He's from Ole Miss and, and he he's, he's only six, four, but he could block pretty well. And, and um, I like that about him. And so when I, when you see him knowing that like he's going to get these passing uh, receiving touchdowns and, and get all these stats, I, I do like him still in the blocking game a little bit. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he does with the rest of his career with Josh Allen. You both missed the number one reason why he's worth putting in the top 10. Dude threw a touchdown pass last year with a broken hand. Oh my God. I forgot about that. Yeah. That, that reason alone is good is reason enough to put him in the top 10. Um, But as you know, as awesome and bad as that was, it's still just like, we just haven't seen it consistently. You know, like, I think, I think the pieces are there. I think the frame is there. I think the catching ability is there. He is a good blocker. He's a willing blocker. He does a lot of stuff in that position that makes him really valuable. Um, But that offense and the Brian Day uh, Dayball offense, when he was still running the offense, they like they just didn't really use the tight end as a weapon. It was more of like your fourth or fifth option, which is why he did end up catching balls in the red zone. It's why he did end up, you know, making big plays when they needed him to because teams were worried about Cole Beasley and obviously Stephon Diggs and some of those other guys that Buffalo was running out there. Um, but he's, he's just that classic tight end mold of just going to do the job and he's going to do it well. Uh, and he's a really good player. I have him on that outside looking in range. Um, I think he's right there, uh, potentially, 
Um, and I hope that this year is the year where they actually use him more as a pass catcher and they use him more as a bigger part of the offense. Um, any other outside looking in guys, obviously like we didn't put Gronk in on this list. Um, my argument for that was, I mean, he, a, he's a free agent right now. We don't know if he's going to play. I think he probably will end up going back to Tampa Bay, but the bigger question is just what is he without Tom Brady at this point um, with Tom Brady and the chemistry that they have that adds tremendous value to what Gronkowski is yeah. is that years and years of chemistry and their unspoken language, you put him on a random team, you're not getting that. And that's not to say that Gronk still can't be really valuable for Tampa Bay. He, I would expect that he will be. Um, and he's still a good blocker, but it's more of that, like the, the, the decade plus of chemistry you don't have with anyone else. And I feel like we're all pretty much on the same page there yeah, with that. Sure. Um, I had uh, Knox. I also had Zach Ertz who, when Same. Kyler, when Kyler was there, it looks great. I know he's on the older side, but even in the first like four weeks before he got traded from Philly, he looked really good in Philly. He had, I think three touchdowns in the first four games. He got a touch on his last game in Philly. Um, now he's an opportunity with Kyler Murray, uh, assuming Kyler stays healthy where he can be good, but the route running with him is still going to be there. He's not the top three guy that he was for so many years, but uh, he's a damn good player still. Uh, and I think he deserves credit. And then the one dark horse I had here, um, because he was he got injured and knocked out of this for the season last year. Bobby Tuns. Mm, I yeah. I loved Robert Tunyon. I, yeah. I was a huge I Robert Tunyon so. fan uh you know two <clears throat> years ago. And it wasn't just because of the Aaron Rodgers things, though obviously he does make less good players better when you play with Aaron Rodgers. That's what Aaron Rodgers does. Yeah. I think objectively he's he could have been like a Hawkinson or or um or a Dallas Goddard in that same kind of world. And I think a minimum at this point in his career, still really young, coming off the knee injury, which is scary. But I do think he could be a, a Dalton Schultz, right? I do think he can be so, or even a Dawson Knox, somebody in that kind of category. Yeah. So, and I think he'll be a go-to guy for Aaron Rodgers. You know how much he mm -hmm. loves his, his guys he can trust. And Bobby Tuns is one of them. And again, with the with the depleted wide receiver core, uh, losing Devontae Adams, uh, that that uh, that only makes him that much more valuable. I had on on my outside looking in list uh, a name that hasn't been thrown around. Logan Thomas. Mm, yeah. Uh, because we know how much Carson Wentz loves his tight ends. Uh, and Logan Thomas is point. big and can catch the ball he's when he's good. healthy. That the only yeah. problem is the injuries. He's banged up every year. So, yeah, he's never, he's never been healthy, but when he is, I mean, he's one of the best athletes at the tight end position in the entire NFL. So that's, yeah. I looked at that and thought the same thing, but the injuries are too much for me to, yeah. to have at this point, it's going to be week four and he's going to have an ankle injury and it's going to be, you know, same deal for them. Yep. Vito, anyone else on your outside looking in? No, you guys caught, caught it all. All right. And I would also throw one other one. Hunter Henry was really good with New England last year. Um, and I would say this, like I contemplated putting him in instead of Dalton Schultz um, just because the heights of Hunter Henry have been better than anything yeah. that Dalton Schultz did last year. Um, but, you know, it, the injury history with him is obviously a concern too. No love. I know he's not a Bronco anymore, but no Noah Fant love. No, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't do really any outside looking in besides the one. So I, I just, I don't really, I mean, he's it's good. Tough. Don't get me I wrong. Mean, I Seattle, think he's top 15. Tough, yeah. I think he's top 15. I really do. But like, I, I don't think he's top 10. I would I love think. to see him on another team. You know, I, I don't know what team I would that love would if be, he but... stayed on, in Denver and I got to see him <laughs> Russell Wilson. You know what I mean? Like, I really do wish we would have kept him, but we got the, the kid out of UCLA. So like if Noah Fant was on up. Green Bay, He'd be a top. I think he'd be a top ten tight end easily. Yeah, he'd um, probably top five. I'll say I, another young guy who was, was a rookie last year, Cole Komet. 
for Chicago. Mm. We'll see what happens yeah. with Justin Fields in year two, but um, I like Cole Komet. All right, well, now let's do uh, the more fun ranking here, and we're each just going to go one by one, and we're each going to do our full list here. So okay. uh, who wants to go first? Scott? Go ahead, host. <laughs> no, I'll go last. That's the, okay. of being, that's the beauty of being the host. You get to go last. All right. All right. Are we first. doing like everyone's ones again or what? Nope, what we're we... going all the way through. Okay. All right. One Let's through start five. With, no, start with five and work your way down to start one. Start with five. Right. The all number right. five, uh, top five drinking events of the year. Number five, Futhon. And uh, Kenny Boy will know that all one. Right. That is a holiday right. that we made up. Uh, it's, uh, it's an all day power or not an all day power. Hour, it's a power hour uh, <laughs> where we sit down for one hour uh, and, and drink uh, beer is in a, in a, the middle of a power hour. That is uh, a, a nod to, uh, to Thon at Penn state. And, uh, and then at the end, we all stand up. Uh, we feel like degenerate assholes in the end, but Hey, it's uh it's an excuse to drink. Let's go. All Number right. four is every Penn state Saturday. <laughs> I get a case of beer and su- on Friday night uh, f- in preparation for the game. I buy two, one to drink on Friday or part of one on Friday and then uh, one full one for uh, Saturday Penn state day, because you just never know how the game's going to go. So you have uh, a couple of beers pregame, you know, about two, two or three, a quarter. uh, And then, uh, and then we'll see what happens after whether we win or lose. Um, Number three on the top five drinking events of the year, the opening round of the NC2A tournament. I mean, I just get fired up for this every season. I get prepped. Jeff, you've seen my setup. I had four TVs down here. Everybody is having a good time, and we are drinking beers at noon for the first tip-off, and it does not stop for the next 10 hours for the next four days. Uh, Number two is Christmas. Number one is the first day on the beach for a week-long vacation. Mm. Okay. How about that? The first like vacation beer. The, yeah. The yeah. First day. Yeah. That yeah, makes yeah, yeah. sense. And, That's and you just sit on the beach and get loaded for seven, eight hours, uh, sunburnt. And then you go back home and go like, what happened? And then you keep drinking and That's a hell you wake up the next day and go, <sighs> oh boy, I better Those... keep this going or uh, I'll be hurting tomorrow. <laughs> Those are some good day. days. Those are some good picks. I won't spoil it, but we did have one in common. Same one and the same spot in our list. So that. all right, Vito. Great it's a Penn State one, isn't it? So yep, here, it's the Penn State one. As I'm, I'm drinking the tears of Penn State fans when they lose to Ohio State every year. Oh, mm. That's a lot of drinking. I don't know if that's safe, Jeff. <laughs> so uh, here's what I got. All right, five down. I redid mine from earlier. This is what this is what I have. Number five, uh, December twenty first. Winter solstice, shorter day of the year. I get fucked up every time. I don't know if anyone else does that. At That's longest incredible. day of the year, I'm always outside doing whatever. Shortest day of the year, it's like fuck today. After today gets better. I don't give a shit. I'm just gonna drink it off and like because it gets dark at like 4:45. What else oh. am I gonna do all night? And uh, oh then yeah, God. so so I don't know if anyone else does that, but just solstice. I'm, a big, uh, I'm gonna start now. Yeah, yeah, it's a good day. December tradition, <laughs> unlike any other veto thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, four is Cinco de Mayo. Uh, love Cinco de Mayo. Grew up in Southern yeah. California. Corona is my favorite beer. I make my best thing I ever make is guacamole. That's my day. I bought my True. house on Cinco de Mayo. I love Cinco de Mayo. It's a beautiful day. You know what's the problem with Cinco de Mayo, though, hmm. is that I often forget that it's coming. 
Like, I know it's the same day every single year. I understand it's that. It's the 5th of May. <laughs> but, like, but like, even when I get there, I'm like, oh, shit, today's Cinco de Mayo, isn't it? Yeah. I, oh, it's I, like, I, there's a difference between being, like, a kid who was born in Northeast with all Philly and Italian people versus <laughs> growing up in Southern California. Say, so you also can know it because it's usually the week after the NFL draft, if that helps you out. That, yeah, there you go. Um, which I did take out of my list, but here's, here's a football related day, which is number three. It used to be labor day. Now it's kind of like a two weekend event deal, but labor day slash start of football. I feel like when that comes around, there is nothing like drinking and you're watching football and it's like the first football beers of the season. Cause even week one of college, you're playing whoever week two of college when NFL starts and now it's right. A little different, but th that's what matters. I feel like that weekend where you have extended time, you're watching football and you have Monday off. I just get absolutely after it that weekend. It's a great weekend. It's a great weekend slash day moment to drink. But like now I'm such a nerd. Like I take notes during the day. Like I can't drink it. I will do it. Usually like week three or week four, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. But like that first weekend I want to drink, but I'm like, nah, I gotta be, I gotta be, gotta take notes for the pod. I gotta try to be on my shit. Oh, I'll, yeah, I, I agree with you. And then I just get so excited. I'm like a puppy dog with alcohol. Like, like if you I can have excited. one beer while I'm taking yeah. notes. Next thing you know, you're like halfway through a 30 rack. Three yep. hours later. <laughs> yep. So that's, that's my number three. Number two is Thanksgiving. Uh, and, and not yeah. the day before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. Uh, I've spent about probably half of my Thanksgivings with my family. The other half with uh, my best friend, Nick out in, Portland or, or Seattle is where I used to go. Hopefully we'll, we'll reconnect soon and get those going here, but we get after it. football all day. Um, I firmly believe Thanksgiving should be a friend holiday, not a family one. Cause it's just so fun to get after it. There's football on all day. There's football on Friday. There's football on Saturday. That's usually like the conference championships, Ohio state, Thursday, Michigan. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yep. It's beautiful weekend, Monday, even. And yeah, so, you get, well, yeah. And you can go from the previous Monday. I mean, you get five, five days of games in seven days. It's one of my favorite days to get after it. Um, even when I'm with my family, I, I I don't know why. I just always love that. And my number one day is uh, daylight right. savings. When you turn in the fall, when you turn it back from 2 to 1 a.m. And you can be at a bar getting fucked up at 2 a.m. And they're like, oh, it's it's closing. No, bitch. It's 1 a.m. because it goes back one hour. And anyone who leaves then is a loser because you can stay there and keep drinking. And I love it. It's my favorite thing ever. I just love the fact that, like, I don't know when we chose to turn the clocks back from 2 to 1. But whoever made that decision is amazing. So it was at, like, 5 p.m. It wouldn't do it as much justice as the fact of like a bar should shut down, but they are just open for another hour. And for me, that excitement just builds for like the week coming up to it. And I go off. I love that night. That's like one of my favorite nights of the year. And that's the night I go off. So you're anti the whole like changing daylight savings, getting rid of that thing that I'm guessing. Oh God. No. Yeah. I don't want to get rid of it. It's so fun. What? It's so fun. That's so fun. I love how you had, you had the winter stolcist and daylight savings. Just so, so widely nationally yeah, known as drinking list. days. <laughs> just everybody knows. What are you talking about? Everybody does this, right? Duh. Oh, my God. That's amazing. All right. Uh, number five for me, St. Patty's Day. Uh, uh -huh. Obviously, it's, it's the classic drinking. Yep. Just like, and that's why I said, like Cinco de Mayo for you, right? I grew up in the Northeast, yeah. Irish family, St. Patty's is. Day. However, I'm not a fan of St. Patty's Day. Like, oh, we're going to go or like people go to Chicago because they dye the river green or they go do all the cheesy St. Patty's Day shit. 
For right. me, it's like, I want to find the diviest bar I can that still has it or an Irish bar, but even Irish bars get too crazy on St. Patty's Day. Mm-hmm. Get me a Guinness first. I get one Guinness out of the way. And then I'm like, all right, now we're on to whiskey and we're just going to have Did a you- night. You don't do the green beer. That's weird, right? No, green beer is weird. That's okay, that good. falls under I'm glad the we're cheesy. On the same page. Thank that you. falls yeah. on the cheesy. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, here, right. We don't need green beer. Uh, number four for me. We just had it. Memorial Day. Memorial Day weekend is great. It's a great start three day summer. weekend. Yeah, it's the official mm. start of summer. We've all been mm. inside for the winter. Sometimes, especially in like Virginia, if you're in like Northeast, it still is cold through like March and even days in April. But once you hit Memorial Day, you know it's going to be like eighty to 95 every single day for the next like three and a half months. And you're just going to be able to go out and get after it. You break out the, you know, you go into your garage, you pull out the cornhole boards you haven't used in six months. You pull out whatever cart, you know, yard games you have, and you just get after it. You drink some nice light beer, Coronas, seltzers, whatever you're after. Memorial Day is the best. Plus it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful holiday to, you know, memorialize all the the people who fought and uh, lost their lives for our country. Uh, Number three for me, the Thursday of March Madness. Uh, oh, Scotty and I were on the same page here. You talk about that excitement. I, every single year, I try to take oh. some sort of like Snapchat or Twitter video, whatever, of the, of the tip-off. The first tip-off of that day is unlike anything else. You know that for the next three weeks, and we talked about this a few months ago during March Madness, the next three weeks, it's just basketball. It's college basketball. You're learning new teams. Who's going to be Cinderella? Who's going to be St. Peter's this year? It's just nothing but excitement. Your bracket gets thrown away immediately, and you don't care because you've been drinking beer since noon. It's the best. Uh, number two for me, Christmas Eve. Which oh, is a, We were close. A, we were close. <laughs> it's a very special day for my family in particular, but also one of my favorite alcoholic drinks is eggnog. And I only get really? a chance. I only oh. get a chance to drink it on Christmas Eve. That's the only time I really get a chance to drink eggnog. My mom has a fantastic recipe. It tastes absolutely incredible. I do two or three eggnogs, have a nice glass of wine. We do pierogies with my whole family, right? So we get all these handmade fried pierogies. And then you're just drinking beers. And it's all of my cousins. It's all of my family together. And drinking with your cousins and the family is just the absolute fucking best. It's my favorite, mm. favorite thing. And number one, and Scotty will help me defend this one. Because he'll understand the reference, which for me is the first Windows Down day of the year. Now, it's a great playlist. I just played great, it on the golf course. Wait, the win, Windows, the the window, the first Windows Down day is the first day in the spring when you can drive around with all of your windows down and turn <laughs> off the AC. It's like seventy to seventy-five. Right, you're wearing, you're breaking out the shorts for the first time. But maybe you're a hot long because it's like yeah, long you went through tea. the winter. Like you do like a yeah. long sleeve tee with shorts, and it's like man, seventy degrees doesn't feel chilly. It, if it's ninety and then seventy, it feels cold, right? But if you're dealing with like forty and fifty degrees, and all of a sudden you have this like 70, 75 degree day, that day is the absolute fucking best. And I will do whatever I can to sit on the back deck somewhere, put on a good playlist, and jam out and drink beers and and just enjoy the sun even if it's by myself just because i love that day and that that feeling of oh this is the first day of spring we're almost out of this we're about to have a whole summer and then it's also another chapter in that like getting back to football which ultimately we always kind of warp our calendars around at least on this podcast it's a great point because it's almost before memorial day when you can start golfing when you can start doing outdoor sports and maybe you have a little bit to your point but when it's Nice enough when you can be outside and that to your point, the, the yeah. 68 feels like it's 85. You, mm-hmm. and, and if you're in the north, 
anywhere you know it i i don't recognize that day a lot of times because i'm again i grew up in southern california we didn't really have that so i kind of was laughing i was like shit i i, I do love that day i just forgot that day existed you almost. found it later i fake myself you found it here. later in life you found it in college when you when you went up to state college right you know that because in college that was the day that i recognized it the only problem and i thought i might get pushback for this is because it's not like a every single like every uh, single year it's the same but it day happens but happens every but year it, there is a distinctive yeah. day i was with scott this year when it, on yeah. that day and yeah. there's a very distinctive it, day. It was the it second happens. day of the tournament. <laughs> it was. Oh, Jesus. There's a tournament. Is there's, so just, good. <laughs> there's just a very distinctive day. You walk outside and I say the same thing. I just go, fuck, it's nice out. And that's that's how you know. It's the windows that's, down day. Love this. So there you go. Top five drinking days of the year. I'll make a I'll make a social media post. Maybe we'll do a poll and see who uh, who won the top five drinking days of the year. But that's all we got for today. Uh, NBA Finals come back on Tuesday night in the Garden. We'll be back on Thursday uh, reacting to Game 3. Hopefully, uh, Scotty, I think Scotty Wilder be not on the pod at all. Oh, it's Wednesday Wednesday night. night. Sorry. Yeah. Scotty Wilder not be on the pod at all, or uh, we'll be very happy on the pod. So uh, we'll we'll get into all that on on Friday. So uh, for the boys, thank you all for listening. We will be back on Friday. Have a wonderful week. Go Warriors. See you guys then. Take it easy, everybody.